Well, once again, good morning. It is good to be back in the saddle again. I, I, it, it's an interesting thing when you are here. Nathan says, amen. I do want to thank Pastor Nathan for stepping in last week at the last minute and uh, pinch hitting there. He did a great job and very much appreciate that. But it is good to have my voice back. Uh, for those that know me, uh, being in a position where I am not able to talk is a disaster of phenomenal proportions for myself. I mean, everyone else might like it, but uh, I know that, for one, my son did not enjoy it. We were driving around the Friday before uh, last Sunday, and J.J. was in the truck with me, and J.J.'s talking. He's just going a mile a minute. Believe it or not, the little quiet one can talk. And uh, so he's talking and talking and talking, and I'm just occasionally, okay, yeah, bud, that sounds good. That sounds good. And he goes, Dad, why are you being so quiet? I was like, buddy, I, I don't have a voice. And he said, well, you need to stop. This is creepy. I don't like it. I was like, me too, bud, me too. Uh, but it was good. I, I, Nathan did a great job, and I very much appreciate Pastor Nathan stepping in on the last minute and filling in for us. Uh, what, a, what a blessing we, we have to have such a great staff that can step in and uh, have a speaker step in. And I know that Pastor Nathan said to lower your expectations. I disagree with that. I don't think you need to lower your expectations. Just change your expectations of the volume level. That is probably the biggest thing. But it is good to be able to preach to you again this morning. In the corner of the backyard in my house, there's a section that we have uh, squared off. We've got those, those landscaping timbers that go around. And in that is what seems like a mess of nothingness to the uninitiated. And what that is, is our raspberry patch. We grow raspberries at our house, and we love all the different kinds of raspberry desserts that you can normally have. And at the end of the season, what you do with raspberries, for those that haven't grown them, grown them before, is you cut them down really low, and then you let them grow back again the next year. Now, we transplanted these raspberry plants from up north several years ago, and they love the soil down here in Seymour, Indiana, and they do tend to produce robustly throughout the season. But last season, when it came to the end of the season, I cut them down with my little trimmer thing, and so I cut them down, and Robin was of the opinion that perhaps I had been a bit too aggressive. I know that shocks all of you that I would be too aggressive with anything, but that was the, the thought. And the concern was that perhaps I had killed our raspberry plants by cutting them too low. Now, when you cut the raspberry plants in the fall, they do all die, and they turn brown. And so you're left with a bunch of little stumps that don't look too much unlike this. About that much underground, and this is what you see sticking out as you see what I, would, what I would term a forest of scorched earth. It is just these little twigs sticking out of the ground that are dry, that are clearly dead, that there's clearly no life in them any longer. And, and Robin saw all these, and she thought, maybe we'd gone a little too hard in the paint, and we may have ended our raspberries, and perhaps we needed to restart. And for a while in the spring, I thought she might be right. Because this spring, as we all know, we had a little bit of a drought. 
I know we made up for it later, but early in the summer, we didn't have a lot of rain, and we didn't take the time to water them. So the fear was that we had killed the plants and that all we were going to have remaining was going to be our forest of dead stumps. That's a problem for someone who really loves raspberry desserts. But we watched. Finally, we started getting rain. You know what happened? The plant may have been dead, but the root was alive. And underneath the ground, the roots were still staying dormant, conserving life, conserving water. And eventually, in late spring, we started to see little sprigs coming up out of the ground. If you were to go out to to my house today, rather than these, you would have to look for these. And what you would see instead is plants that look more like this one. As a matter of fact, this is the least of these, their brethren, because I wasn't going to bring you one that had fruit on it. (laughs) So the plants have gone from these little sprigs, barely sticking out, to this tall one. Now, you know what's interesting about this particular plant in my hand, though? Is this sprig and this plant, when I found them this morning, were like this. You know what that means? That they came from the same root. Seems like it was dead. It seemed like there was no life. But clearly underneath there was life. And when the proper time came and the appropriate conditions surrounded it, my forest of death became a forest of new life, full of new branches that are going to bring about new fruit. We see in the book of Isaiah in chapter 11, Isaiah talking about, This forest of stumps that God has created by his judgment of the surrounding nations. And he, he speaks a word of hope to the people of Israel that though they might see death and destruction all around them right now, though they may see the evidence of the wrath of God, that they should take heart because there's still life in the roots. And new growth will come bringing about new fruit. If you have a Bible, turn with me to Isaiah chapter 11. Isaiah chapter 11. We're going to start in verse 1. It says, a shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse. From his roots, a branch will bear fruit. The spirit of the Lord will rest on him, the spirit of wisdom and of understanding, the spirit of counsel and of might the spirit of the knowledge and the fear of the Lord. And he will delight in the fear of the Lord. He will not judge by what he sees with his eyes or decide by what he hears with his ears, but with righteousness he will judge the needy. With justice he will give decisions for the poor of the earth. He will strike the earth with the rod of his mouth and with the breath of his lips he will slay the wicked. Righteousness will be his belt. In faithfulness, the sash around his waist. The wolf will live with the lamb. The leopard will lie down with the goat. The calf and the lion and the yearling together. And a little child will lead them. The cow will feed with the bear. Their young will lie down together. And the lion will eat straw like the ox. The infant will play near the cobra's den. And the young child will put its hand into the viper's nest. They will neither harm nor destroy on my, all my holy mountain, for the earth will be full with the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. 
In that day, the root of Jesse will stand as a banner for the peoples. The nations will rally to him, and his resting place will be glorious. In that day, the Lord will reach out his hand a second time to reclaim the surviving remnant of his people from Assyria, from Lower Egypt, from Upper Egypt, from Cush, from Elam, from Babylonia, from Hamath, and from the islands of the Mediterranean. He will raise a banner for the nations and gather the exiles of Israel. He will assemble the scattered people of Judah from the four quarters of the earth. Ephraim's jealousy will vanish and Judah's enemies will be destroyed. Ephraim will not be jealous of Judah, nor Judah hostile towards Ephraim. They will swoop down on the slopes of Philistia to the west. Together they will plunder the peoples of the east. They will subdue Edom and Moab, and the Amorites will be subject to them. The Lord will dry up the gulf of the Egyptian sea, and a scorching wind he will sweep his hand over the Euphrates River. He will break it up into seven streams so that anyone can cross over in sandals. There will be a highway for the remnant of his people that is left from Assyria, and there, and there was from, as there was from Israel when they came up from Egypt. So we've got this, this two-tiered passage here that talks about this stump of Jesse. And we've got to give a little bit of context for what's going on. We've got to look back a little bit at, at chapter 10. And if we look at chapter 10 and verses 33 through 34, he gives this concluding remark about what the section that he's just been doing for several chapters. And he says this, See the Lord, the Lord Almighty, will lop off the, the boughs with great power. The lofty trees will be felled, the tall ones will be brought low. He will cut down the forest thickers, thickets with an axe. Lebanon will fall before the mighty one. And then we, we go from that right into this chapter 11. And what, what the prophet Isaiah is saying is that from the forest of failed kingdoms will grow a king who will stand strong. From the forest of failed kingdoms will, will grow a king that will stand strong. Made me wonder as I was thinking, as I was preparing for this message, has there ever been a time in human history where people have looked at the world around them and considered the merits of their leaders that, that were leading their nations and thought, man, the world is in really good shape. Our leaders are impeccable and unimpeachable and full of great character and can be implicitly trusted with everything. Has there ever been that moment in time? And the answer to that question is a resounding, absolutely not. If there has been that moment, I either was not born or I missed it. The general consensus throughout history is that the world is constantly consistently on fire. That everywhere around us, everywhere we turn is evidence of the evil of humanity and that the world is getting worse and worse and worse in a crescendo of nastiness that ultimately will culminate with God destroying the earth. And the fact of the matter is there is a truth to that, but at the same time, the reality is that things are just cyclical. That the world is just bad in different ways all the time. But the truth is that because of the reality of the stain of sin that is so pervasive in our world, we will never find the perfect leaders, will we? 
We will always, for the entirety of our lives, be, stu- be stuck choosing between the lesser of evils. That's the reality. Now, we, we, we can try to contextualize it to, by saying that we're trying to choose the greater of the goods. And that's true. But is that not just another way of, a nicer way of saying we're choosing between the, the lesser bad? I mean, it really is. And it doesn't take long for us to look around and see where, where we see issues in our world. And it was no different in Isaiah's time. I mean, we've seen it over and over again. We can, we can even look forward and, and we can see that it was true in Jesus' time and it was true in Paul's time and it's true in the end when John is looking forward in Revelation. This is the reality of our world, folks. And our leaders, no matter which human leader it is, they will inevitably fall short of the standard that God has set. Well, let's be honest, they, they, don't, they don't always meet our standards. And our standards are not very high. But here we see that in Isaiah, God had come to the end of his patience with the arrogance and unrighteousness of his people and the surrounding nations. That God had had, had enough and he was cutting them down to size. Those verses that we just read in chapter 10, verses 33 to 34, tell us that all that would remain in the time of Isaiah as they moved forward would be a veritable forest of chopped trees. A forest of stumps that you will. It's not a hopeful picture. Everything is going to be cut down. Everything is going to be destroyed. We could go back and you can look through Isaiah. And if you look back through Isaiah coming from the preceding chapters, we've got chapter 10, he's talking about the woes. And then if you follow right after in chapter 12, you have this song of praise. But then you know what you have immediately after that? Twelve chapters of God making prophecies against every nation in the region. As we're going to see next week, everybody's getting a whooping. Everybody's in trouble. And I don't know how God does this in in, in this day and age. I'll be honest with you. I am really reticent to look at at the day's events and say, oh, see, this is the end. See, God is punishing the nations. I know that that's true. I, I know that that's true, that God does punish us and uses the surrounding circumstances and the nations of the world to bring to the light the consequences of our sin. We're going to talk about that more next week. That's absolutely true. I don't always know how that works, because Jesus himself said there will be wars and rumor of wars, and there will be famine, and there will be desolation, but this isn't necessarily the end. This is the world. But we know for a fact, though, for Isaiah, right? In this context, we know that this is evidence of the wrath of God. That God's wrath is falling upon all of the surrounding nations. That God has had enough of these leaders and that God is bringing them down to size. And it is a, it is a, a scene of desolation and despair. But in the midst of that, we come to chapter 11. And Isaiah gives us what we like to call, what a lot of theologians would call the but God moment. Then in the midst of all of the disaster and desolation that God is still working. And it says in verse 1 of chapter 11, a shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse. From his roots a branch will bear fruit. Oh, there's hope. 
That, that, that even in the midst of the failure that we see in the world, that there is coming up from the stump, from the seeming death and destruction of our world, that new life will spring from the stump of Jesse. It is interesting, though, that it's the stump of Jesse. Notice that it doesn't, it doesn't go to David, which is kind of weird, isn't it? Because Jesse was never a king. It was David that was the king. The dynasty didn't start until David. But, but if we look, we notice that it's during David that we start seeing failure. Right? David is the one that we like to, to, to hold up as this great king that did these great things and he expanded the borders of Israel and they were the greatest that they had ever been under he and his son Solomon. But, but remember, David took a guy's wife and then had him killed using his military power and his authority to do it. Even David was questionable as a leader. In the first generation, the first, the first towering timber, the, the cedar of Lebanon, David himself fell short. And, and it went downhill from there, didn't it? You go to Solomon with his thousands of wives and, and all the gods that came with him. And the people began to, to wander and pursue other gods. And then from there on, <clears throat> you just see a mess. See the... The issue was that the tree of David could not hold firm. That when the winds and the pressures of this world came, he bended to the will of the world just as we struggle with today. But from the roots of Jesse, from the seed, from the, from the point where David started, right? It, it points back to a time before the power. It, it points back to a time before the prestige. It points back to a time before the money and before the fame and the glory and before the military conquest when David was nothing. When David was just a humble shepherd boy serving in the field. When he had integrity and he had grace and humility, and he was just seeking to humbly serve. In the same way, from that root, from that seed of humble service, would spring a new branch. It would grow from the same line, but it would also be different. It would be better. And where all others were corrupted, and all other trees of, or branches of David's line had been felled, this branch would stand the test of time. What's the difference? What's the difference between this new branch that's coming up from the roots of Jesse, the stump of Jesse from the roots? What's the difference in this new king that would arise? Well, the major difference is found in the saturation of the Spirit of the Lord. The major difference is, is, is where his source of strength is coming from. We see in verses 2 through 3 that the character of this new king to come and his leadership would be based upon sensitivity to God's Holy Spirit. That there would be a spirit of humility that would dominate his decision making. That there would be a spirit of grace. That there would be a spirit of obedience We see that, that the Spirit would provide for this new king wisdom and understanding to help him with his leadership decisions. Counsel and might to make sure that his plans prosper. And knowledge and fear of the Lord to make him holy. 
You know what's so great about this is that the predominant feature of this king to come and what so differentiated him from all that had come before him was this. That his primary goal and his primary delight in life would be pleasing Father God. This would be the defining feature of his life. Often the greatest issue in our own lives as well as in the lives of the leaders that lead us at a variety of levels, where it be, whether it be in Washington, D.C., in Indianapolis, or even here at First Baptist Church, one of the greatest issues in our lives is that we are more concerned about maintaining what we have than pursuing what God offers and what we need. It's the problem of success. Success itself isn't a bad thing. But but the problem is, the bigger we get, the better we get, the more that we match the world's model of success, the more we start to believe our own press clippings. The bigger our budget gets, the the more we feel a need to maintain that level of spending, right? The, The more prominent we become in the community, the more we feel to find other opportunities to keep ourselves in the light. The the, the more that that we see people wanting and flocking to what it is that we have to offer, the more that we want to market it and the more that we want to maintain and protect that programming in a way that, that people will keep coming. And it's not that all of those things are bad. The problem comes when those things become the driver. And those things, rather than being the method and the means we use to obey God, begin to supplant God. Because when when the outworkings become of primary importance, we've replaced God on the throne with ourselves. And in a variety of ways, each of us do it in our own lives. Our own priorities and and our own positions, our own things that, that matter most to us begin to take the place of God Almighty. No wonder we end up falling flat on our face. Because all those things are not the source of the strength. All of those things will not sustain us when difficulty comes. And it will. What's going to sustain us is the power and presence of the Holy Spirit within us. Guiding us, directing us. Makes me wonder, how different would our lives be? If this passage, if if these verses in verses 2 and 3 were the defining feature of our lives. That, that the spirit of the Lord rests upon us and that the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and of might, and the spirit of knowledge and fear of the Lord were the things that, that we were paying the most attention to. And we were trying to develop those voices in our lives and, and to allow that voice of the Holy Spirit, the voice of God through his word, to be what saturates our lives so that what defines us is a delight in the fear of the Lord. Not terror, again, we've talked about that, right? Not, not terror that, that God's going to zap us and so we're doing it out of obligation, but obedience out of love, out of a healthy reverence and awe that, oh my goodness, Almighty God loves me. Almighty God is calling and wants me to be in relationship with him. Almighty God has has gone to the effort of giving me his transcendent word that I can pay attention to, that can guide my life in my actions can make me matter. How different would our lives be if this is what we used to guide our decisions? Further, how different would our world be if we chose our leaders based upon their Holy Spirit instilled wisdom and understanding rather than their bank accounts? 
or, or, or rather than on their willingness to hear and see, seek wise counsel rather than their connections to famous people. Or on their respect and reverence for the Lord rather than their own personal greatness and success. How different would our world be? How different, how different would our world be? And, I, and listen, I, I'm, not, I'm not for the whole, you know, Christian nationalism thing. So I'm not trying to make, make everybody Christian with us through our leaders. But I do think that there is a sense where we should hold our leaders to account for, and, and expect them to have integrity. Not that I'm, I'm not saying they shouldn't be able to make mistakes. Brothers and sisters, I fail. I, I mean, you've heard enough detrimental stories about me up here to know that, that I'm not all that. I know that. But I've heard people say, well, I don't choose my politicians like I choose my pastor. Well, maybe you should. Not necessarily on biblical knowledge, but, but shouldn't there be a sense where we are looking for people that have a sensitivity to the spirit of the Lord? Would, would there not be wisdom in that? We have the option. People with, don't we want people that have a spirit of wisdom and understanding? Pe- people that, that, that will listen to wise counsel People that, that understand the expectations and align with values that we think are important. I think that's legitimate. How different would our world be if we relied on the Lord for our decision making? We see in this passage that this new king would bring about salvation to the humble and punishment to the proud. The promised king won't render judgments based on surface issues. But he also won't ignore the evidence. We see that in verses 3 to 5. It says, he will not judge by what his eyes see or decide by what he hears with his ears. This promised king isn't going to render, render uh, his decisions based upon hearsay. It's not going to be based on gossip. It's not going to be based upon the, the opinions and the currents of the day, but on the voice of the Spirit. Now, the word judgment hits hard for us in this, doesn't it? And it seems really weird talking about his judgments for the poor or to the poor. Few things get us wound up as Americans like believing that someone is judging us. In this application, however, it doesn't result in condemnation, but in salvation. You see, we, we've got to understand that we think that judgment always goes one way, that rendering a judgment always results in bad things. It's kind of like I said with Raphael, that Raphael said, hey, I want to give you some feedback. And my mind immediately went to negative feedback, right? That's, that's just the way my mind is wired. When I say, hey, I want to give you feedback, I don't think positive feedback, I think negative feedback. When I think, I think of constructive criticism, and when we think of judgment, we automatically go negative, but you realize that without judgment, there can be no rendering of innocent as well. And what the text is telling us is that, that this new king would be able to render right judgments. That he's going to have the sensitivity to the spirit. That, that's not going to result in condemnation, but in salvation where available. See, God's word is true and trustworthy. And he will bring justice to the needy and the oppressed and punishment to the oppressor based on righteous and holy judgments. The text tells us that this king would be clothed with righteousness and faithfulness rather than with arrogance that is so prevalent in people in power in our world. 
Now, if you haven't already gotten there yourself, allow me to land this portion of the plane. This is clearly and only talking about Jesus. I mean, that should have been obvious to you as, as we're going through because it's there. It describes Jesus, right? Wasn't Jesus described in Philippians 2, as Nathan read last week, that, that he's, he, he is recognized by his obedience to the Father, by obedience to the death, that, that, he, that he's, he's recognized by his humility in his spirit, not by enacting the power and position that he could that was rightly his as the Son of God and as the Son of David, but instead choosing to take the form of a servant. I mean, we could go look at Matthew 1, 1 through 6, which shows us that Jesus is in the line of Davidic kings and takes him all the way back to Jesse. We could look in Matthew 3, Luke 3, or John 1, and these several gospel accounts tell us that Jesus went to the Jordan River to be baptized by John the Baptist, and that when he came up, the Holy Spirit literally descended upon him, and the Father said, Behold, my Son, with whom I am well pleased. We can look at Matthew 4 and Luke 4, which tells us that Jesus went out into the wilderness so Satan could tempt him with shortcuts to power and prominence. But Jesus stood strong in the dry and barren place and stayed faithful to God where all others would have fallen. You see, our branch stands strong where all others have bent and fallen. The branch has been revealed. And according to John and Paul, we are grafted into that branch and that is where we find our life. Christ has come, Christ is here, and Christ will come again. May we continue to to lean into him, to run to him, to, to, to stand under his banner, understanding that there's security in Christ, in Christ alone, in an ever-changing and inconsistent world. See, that's the hope of the branch, is not only do we have a new branch, but fresh fruit that's going to come with it. And the fruit of the branch of Jesse, that is Jesus, is the restoration of peace throughout creation. What we broke, God fixes. The Messiah will bring about peace in all of creation. Verses 6 and following, Isaiah presents an interesting vision of the world. And it would be easy for us to get caught up in in the drama of it, right? Because it's so otherworldly and it makes no sense to us. We're used to watching things on the Discovery Channel, right? Where the lion is crouching and, and going through the savannah. And if you're like me, you're ready for that lion to do its thing and ready for that guy to shut up and for the chase to be on and for that baby gazelle to get eaten. Because that's the world in which we live, where the strong prevail and the weak do not. And if you're a weak one at the back of the pack, good luck to you. Survival of the fittest. But Isaiah takes that idea that dominates our world and he turns it on its head. He says that the wolf will live with the lamb. The leopard will lie down with the goat. The calf and the lion together with the fatted yearling. And a child will lead them. So not only do you have these animals that that we know for being apex predators that eat that's weak, but but there's going to be a kid keeping watch over them. Well, if that's not enough, he goes on. Because maybe they were just tired there. And we've all seen tired lions, seeing the gazelles running around them, and we're like, what in the world is that about? Well, they were just tired. They weren't hungry then. Well, then Isaiah doesn't allow us to stay there. He said, look, these next ones, they're hungry. 
they hungry. And it says the, the cow will feed with the bear. That doesn't happen. The bear feeds on the calf, right? That's the way of things. And their young will lie down together. The lion will eat straw like the ox. And the infant will play near the cobra's den. And the young child will put its hand into the viper's nest. A couple weeks ago, Jean came into the, the office and she said, hey, you've got to see this video that Aaron sent me the other day. And on, on the video is a, a, a young Jaden Nichols had walked out of her house. And on their ring, you're watching this out, play out. And, and Jaden is freaking out. She says, hey, there's a snake in the yard. What do I do? And Aaron says, well, go kill it. Find something and go kill it. She says, I can't, I can't, I can't. She says, no, go kill it. So Jaden goes and gets a hoe. You're watching all of this play out on the video. She goes and gets a hoe. And, and she says, oh, no, it's going towards the house. And you can hear Aiden, you can hear Aaron yelling at her, kill it, kill it. And she's like, I can't, I can't. And then you hear the death, the, the most hair-curdling scream you've ever heard in your life. And Jaden says, it's going in the house. It's going in the house. Oh, it's going, Mom, it's going in the house. Cancel my appointment today. I can't, I can't go in the house. The dog's in the house. And she is hysterical. You know what that tells me? That part of what Jesus is, Isaiah is telling us has not happened. This isn't a cobra. This is a black snake. And Jane's like, I can't touch it with a six-foot garden hoe. And you know what? I'm not mocking the girl. I'm with her. Like, I'm out. I'm staying with someone else now because there's a snake living up in my crib. What if it eats me? It's an irrational fear? Maybe. But did God not say in Genesis 3 that I will put enmity between your seed and theirs? It's a sign of the curse. The reality is the curse broke all relationships, right? We could go look at Genesis, and that is the reality of the curse. We can get it twisted and look at all the different elements of that pain and birth, the, the struggle between men and, women, uh, men and women over who's going to be in charge. But it all comes back to one thing, that there would be an undeniable brokenness in our relationships. That there would be a, a, a turning of the power dynamic where the strong would subdue the weak. Understand, brothers and sisters, that is not the created order. It is not supposed to be that men, because we're bigger, over, are overlords over women. That's not the way. That is a result of the curse. That is the cursed order, not the created order. And when God finally finishes what he's going to do, that will all be done and these power dynamics will be gone. And all of us will understand what we say in the church often, that the ground is level at the foot of the cross. That there is Christ and then there's all the rest of us. See, this grasping for power is part of the problem. This desire to reach high. Is that not ultimately what happened to Babel? That the problem is together they said, look, we are like unto God. Look at our greatness. There's no height that we cannot get to if we come together and God says, no, you will always fall if you rest on your own strength. And it says here that the fruit is going to be peace. In Christ, the most natural of enemies will live as friends. In Christ, the strong no longer prey upon the weak. 
In Christ, all can find rest and peace through his power and presence. In Christ, those who have wounded will forgive those who have wounded them. In Christ, those who have wounded will ask for forgiveness. In Christ, those who have done harm will rest next to those who have been harmed because that's what Christ does. Is that not what Christ did on the cross? As he, stood, as he, as he was up there hanging on the cross and he said, Father, forgive them. That's the model. And when we follow, when we, when we become the fruit, and we are the fruit off the branch of Christ, we will begin demonstrating the fruit of the Spirit. We will be guided by the Spirit. And what a world that would be. Where grace is the order of the day. When compassionate kindness is what we're known for. Yes, absolutely, we need to be righteous and we need to try to do what Christ wants us to do. But that too only happens when we rest in the power and presence of the Holy Spirit. We cannot do it in our own power. We are all sinners in need of Savior. None of us are inherently saints. Brothers and sisters, hear me one more time. None of us are inherently saints. Even those of you in here that say, well, I'm pretty good. You are not. The Bible tells us that all of our righteousness is as filthy rags. And all of us need grace upon grace upon grace. But God be praised. That has been offered through Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. And we have a king who does not judge based upon what we have done or who we've been, but on our faith in him. Which brings us to our concluding point. We need to fly the flag of Jesus high and invite all to come join us. We need to fly his flag high and invite all to come to Jesus. And that's the, that's the amazing thing that, that we lose as Americans in our reading is that, that all of these nations are going to come together. In that day, the root of Jesse will stand as a banner. That banner is a flag. That's what a banner is. That the root of Jesse will stand as a banner of the peoples. The nations will rally to him and his resting place will be glorious. All of these felled trees that have failed, all of these nations that Isaiah has been talking about, is the amazing thing about Isaiah is that Isaiah continually comes back to everybody's going to be welcome at the table of this new king. The doors will be flung wide for all who will to come. What an amazing day and amazing truth that is. And what's interesting to me here in verse 10 is that the wording is similar to verse 1, but with a slight adjustment. No longer is it a shoot coming up from the stump of Jesse, but this is the root of Jesse. You see, that's why Jesus stands strong where all others fail, because Christ is not derivative of Jesse or David. He was the source. That he was the object of faith and affection and it is only when we grow, when our lives grow from Christ that we can stand strong against the winds of this world. It is only when the power and presence of the Holy Spirit is what buoys us up that we can stand in the midst of the struggle that is life. Life is hard, brothers and sisters. It gets discouraging. But the name of the Lord is a strong tower. And the righteous run into it, and they are saved. And the greatest fruit from the life of Jesus is the lives of men, women, and children transformed by his amazing grace and his power and presence. It's so easy for us to look 
at the great mess of our world. It's so easy for us to get caught up in the struggles in our own lives, in our own families, in our own homes, in our own jobs, in our own schools. It's easy to look at the difficulty and become blinded and believe that all is dark. To believe that the world is in self-destruct mode, which isn't all wrong. But in the midst of the chaos and destruction around us, God is still working and moving. Do we believe it? Do we know that when everything seems hopeless and desperate that God is still moving? That we can still stand strong whatever comes our way? We and our leaders fail both early and often, but God never fails. We have hope through Jesus Christ. God sent his son, Jesus, into the world to heal what ails us, to open up avenues to peace with God, and to make way for us to be in right relationship with one another and with the world at large. We may not see it playing out in front of us right now, but the kingdom of God has come. The banner of Christ flies high. May we pledge our allegiance to Christ above all. May we seek to adapt as citizens of his kingdom that people might see in us what they saw in him. May fear of the Lord and obedience to his word and his compassionate grace be what saturates our actions and our decisions. May we fix our eyes on Christ, the author and perfecter of our faith, and follow him faithfully as we fly his flag high that as many as possible might find the peace that passes understanding through his power and presence in their lives. Father God, we thank you so much for your goodness and your grace to us. We thank you for your great love with which you've loved us. We thank you for the hope of your gospel, the truth of your love, and the truth that if we repent, you will forgive us of our sins and restore us to right relationship with you. Lord, may that, re may that right relationship be what influences our decisions and our treatment of others. May you restore the relationships in our lives, Lord, and where, there is, where there's dry, arid death, Lord, may you bring about new life. May the fruit of the Spirit grow in us. May you reveal to us ways that we need to adapt and change to be more like your Son and our King Jesus. May his be the name that we lift high. May his word be what we obey above all else. And may your face be what we seek. We'll give you all the honor and glory in Jesus' name.